Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. I did also want to share with you before we dig into the sermon today, uh, starting tomorrow, I will be going on a one-month sabbatical. Um, and so there will be a season of rest and refreshment, but also we'll be working on uh, some curriculum. If you were a part of the journey evangelism, you are familiar with this, uh, but I'll be working on four studies that you would go through with someone uh, who's on a spiritual journey, explaining to them how the Bible answers life's uh, most important questions. And so I would appreciate your prayers uh, over the next month, but you will be well taken care of. As we mentioned, David is full-time. Uh, Pastor Spencer Thomas is in charge. So if you have any complaints, please feel free to give them to him. And, uh, and then we also have Jason Fulian and the other staff here to serve you. And so I anticipate everything will probably go better than when I'm here. So, um, so, so, so please be in prayer for me for that. I would appreciate that. Uh, less than a month ago, there was an article in the Washington Post written by a woman named Lisa Bonos. And Lisa uh, entitled this article, It's Not Just You, We're All Socially Awkward Now. Uh, she says, as our social lives restart, many of us are rusty, tongue-tied, rambling, or insecure, and it shows. Social, social interaction is a million things knitted into one, says Marissa Franco, a psychologist who specializes in friendship. It's turning thoughts into speech, making eye contact, entering and exiting a conversation and more. Rest assured, fellow awkwards, your social skills will come back and you're not the only one feeling out of sorts. And then I love uh, her, her, her illustration of this. She says that this, this time uh, is a new reality uh, for us and it's a collective adolescence of, of sorts. And she says it resembles a middle school dance. She says we're all eager to be with one another, but we don't quite know how to act and our dance moves have aged terribly. And so um, I, I just resonated with that because I know even now, maybe you've encountered this, but when you approach someone, you're wondering, do they want a handshake, not want a handshake, a fist bump, an elbow bump? Like, what are they comfortable with? Do they want me to stay six feet away, 15 feet away? And so you like extend the hand. You're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Because you just don't know, right? And so there is this social awkwardness as we get reacquainted with one another. And if you feel that awkwardness, just want to encourage you, I'm glad glad uh, that you pressed into the awkwardness, that you came here today. We are so glad you're here with us, and it is good that you are here. I've shared this with you before, but in the New Testament, the word church is ekklesia. That's the Greek word, and it literally means an assembly uh, coming together. 
And it assumes that a, a faithful Christian is connected and committed and invested in their local church community. So much so that if you look through the uh, epistles of the New Testament, many, if not most of the commands in the New Testament are how we should interact as a church with one another, how we love one another, challenge one another, minister to one another, forgive one another. And so today, James reminds us of what it means for us as individuals to be connected together as the church. And he doubles down, uh, assuming uh, that, we are, that we are connected uh, in very, very honest and real ways. And so James will instruct us in this final portion of this book on two really important parts of not just coming to the church, but being the church to one another. So let's look together. James chapter five, uh, if you need a Bible, sorry, I forgot to mention, there are red Bibles in the back. Feel free to grab a red Bible. If you need one, David can bring it. Just slip your hand up. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Uh, We are in James chapter five, uh, verse 13 through 20, uh, as we finish out this this really uh, amazing and timely letter for this church. So let's read together. James five, verse 13. Is any... One among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, I am so thankful for this book of James, and I think there are many here that would join me in giving thanks to you for that, Lord. How how surgical and shapely this book has been for our hearts and for our lives, God, in in ways that we don't remember, but we know has happened, God. And so uh, we praise you uh, for this letter uh, from your half-brother, James, God. And Lord, we pray again that you would minister to our hearts through this. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there is this temptation for all of us uh, to isolate and to isolate to our own destruction. And it happens for a variety of reasons. Uh, Sometimes it's because of shame. Sometimes it's because of rebellion. Sometimes, if we're honest, it's because of laziness or a lack of priorities. But here's the thing. When we isolate Uh, from the church, when we just have this vague, superficial relationship with those in the church, it not only hurts us, it actually hurts the church. Uh, We are told in the scriptures that the the body of Christ is like a human body. 
there is one body with many parts. And so if you are a toe and you have amputated yourself from the body of Christ, not only does it hurt you, but it hurts the body as well, which is missing a toe. Because one of God's greatest gifts to the church is you. And so in this passage today, James is encouraging us and exhorting us to be intimately involved in one another's lives. And I think this is so timely, not only because we are kind of reestablishing the norms from coming back from COVID-19, but because we hit summer where often we're, we're tempted to kind of disappear and fall off the map for a while. And so James will challenge us uh, not to disconnect, not to isolate, not to float away, but to be connected to one another here in the church. And he does this by exhorting us to do two things, okay? The first thing is to be a praying church. So what is prayer, okay? Uh, I put this question on our Facebook page. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go look at it. I mean, the answers were fantastic, really ministered to me in some ways that I wasn't expecting, to be honest. Uh, but some of the answers said it's a conversation with God, it's communion with God, it is connecting with God, it's talking to your heavenly father about anything and everything. Uh, it's intimate time with God. It is heart-to-heart -heart communion with God. Those are some of the answers, and I thought they were wonderful. Uh, one that I want to share with you, a definition of prayer, is given by the Billy Graham Evangelical Association, and it's in your bulletin there, but this is what the definition is. What is prayer? Prayer is a spiritual communication between man and God, a two-way relationship in which man should not only talk to God, but also listen to him. Prayer to God is like a child's conversation with his father. When you receive Christ into your heart, you become a child of God and have the privilege of talking to him in prayer at any time about anything. Think about how amazing prayer is. Prayer is an opportunity to talk to your heavenly father, to talk to the creator of the platypus. I mean, this is what prayer is. We get to talk to the God of all creation. Simply put, prayer is a conversation with our heavenly father. Now, I know some of you here are prayer warriors and your life is saturated with prayer, but for the rest of us, I think we would confess that our prayer life is not what we wish it would be, either in frequency or fervency. Even ministers struggle to pray. I was at our denomination's general assembly a few years ago, and a man got up in front of the assembly. It lasts several days, and he encouraged all of these, these pastors, I don't know, 2,000 or so pastors, encouraged them saying, hey, please come and, and join us in, in the hall uh, at the prayer room. If you're looking for the prayer room, it's the one that's typically empty, right? That's the one you want to go to. And it was like, ouch, that hurts, because there's some truth to it. So often we neglect prayer. We think there are more important things for us to do, that we must be more productive in other areas, or we've prayed and it's not been answered like we wanted, and so we get discouraged. And yet here, James is reminding us that prayer is a vital component of the churchman and churchwoman's life. Now, James lists out four uh, types of prayer, or four aspects of prayer, and so I want to look at those four types of prayer. First, there is private prayer, prayer between you and God, one-on-one -on -one prayer time. Verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? 
let him pray. Uh, We see this throughout the Psalms, which is why I'm so excited to dig into the Psalms. But in the Psalms, you see this crying out to God, this this honest uh, kind of eruption of emotion towards the Lord, but also this, this, this plea for God to comfort them in the midst of their suffering and to give them clarity and wisdom in the midst of their suffering. And so we are to cry out to God in the midst of our suffering, but we are also, as it says here, to do it uh, in the good times as well. He continues, says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. You know, I never thought about uh, the singing of songs as a, as, as a way of praying to God, and I don't even think that's James's point here, but I could be convinced by that. I mean, if we are singing to the Lord, uh, isn't that what prayer is? It is speaking to the Lord and hearing from the Lord. And so, so what James is saying, listen, in the lowest times, in the highest times, and in all between times, sing to the Lord, pray to the Lord, cry out to the Lord. You know, as, as a dad, I love uh, when I have talk time with my kids. Uh, sometimes that talk time is just in passing as we're walking past one another in the kitchen. Sometimes it is over the dinner table, just hearing how the day went. Sometimes that talk time uh, is longer extended periods as we, as we talk through sins that we are struggling with. Uh, sometimes it's a couple days when we go away to go fishing or do something like that. But we have all of these little talk times and they're so sweet for me as a father. Did you know your heavenly father views your prayers in the same way? That, that whether it's just walking through the house, going through the kitchen and saying a prayer, or whether you sit down for your daily devotional time and spend extended time of prayer, or if you have a prayer retreat, uh, the Lord loves that because he is your heavenly father and he loves conversing with his children. And so the the cool thing about private prayer is that it is so accessible. I mean, you can do it anytime and anywhere. And the Lord delights for you to come to him and pray to him in really hard times, but in really happy times and in all between times. And so first, James exhorts us to private prayer. The second here is elder prayer. And this is where we see from here on out, really James uh, assuming we have this uh, intimate connection with the church. Verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This calling upon the elders indicates that someone needs the elders to come to them because uh, this is before the time of modern transportation and they're unable to go to the church. And so they call for their elders to come to their, to their home and to pray over them, which means this isn't simply the flu or a headache, but this is a severe illness that they are enduring. Now, why does he say here that, that the elders should pray over them, but also anoint their head with oil? Well, oil was and is a comforting balm for many illnesses. But more importantly than that, if you remember in the Old Testament, anointing with oil was a way that people were set apart like kings and priests. They were set apart by an anointing with oil. And so here, one commentator puts it this way about the anointing with oil. It says, they say, it's physical action with symbolic significance to show, and I like this part, that the sick person is being set apart for God's special attention and care. You know, our, our elders do 
pray over the sick in our church. It happens anywhere from one time a year to six or seven times a year. Uh, We gather with them. We ask them to share what is on their heart and what's going on with them and how we can pray for them. Uh, We anoint their head with oil. We lay our hands on them if it is appropriate. And then we pray for them. And we pray for God to heal them. And so if you uh, are enduring serious illness or if someday you do, please do not hesitate. Call me or another elder we would, we would love, we would love to pray for you. Uh, the passage continues in verse 15, but let me back up to 14 so we have the context. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then it says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, some Uh, churches or Christians have taken this as a guarantee uh, that if we uh, pray that a person will indeed be healed. Uh, But of course, our experience and the scriptures contradict that, right? Everybody dies, which means at some point, God does not heal them in this life because they die. But, But we also know this from scripture. I mean, Jesus asked that the Lord would remove the cup of wrath from him at the cross, and the Lord said no. Uh, 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 Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, says that he has a thorn in his flesh, which is a messenger of Satan to harass him. And he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so if prayer does not obligate God to heal us, then what is, what, is, what is James saying here? When he says the prayer of faith will save the ones who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Well, what it means is that the prayer of faith is the means by which God has ordained to bring healing. Prayer is the means by which God has ordained to bring healing. Uh, Pastor Dan Doriani, who ironically I I quoted last week, uh, shared a story when I was in seminary about how he was pastoring a church and there was a man in the congregation who had debilitating back uh, pain for, for, for years. And so he asked elders to pray over him. They gathered together. They anointed his head with oil. They prayed for him. They prayed for healing for him. Uh, and, and a short time went by, I think it was about a week, I can't remember exactly, but, but the man uh, uh, encountered Pastor Dan Doriani in the stairwell. And he said, uh, Pastor Doriani, check this out. And he runs up the stairs, and he runs down the stairs, and he runs up the stairs, and he runs down the stairs. I don't know what happened, but I was healed. And, and Pastor Dan Doriani says, at that moment, I started freaking out because I'm Presbyterian. And so it's just like, whoa, look at this. This is crazy. This is cool. You know, when the elders pray, we pray for healing, absolutely, with fervency. And sometimes that healing happens very quickly. I have stories of folks that we've prayed over, and very quickly you see this upward trajectory in their health. Sometimes the healing takes months. Sometimes it takes years. And yet sometimes the healing doesn't happen this side of the resurrection. But the healing will come. The healing is guaranteed for those who are in Christ, either in this life or in the life to come. And if it is not in this life, then we hear the words of God to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 
Now, I know as we think about praying to God and asking God for healing and, and him not always answering those prayers, we can get discouraged. Um, but here's the thing. When we pray, we pray to a God who we assume is smarter than us, <laughs> is wiser than us, who sees things that we do not see. And so if God answered every one of our prayers in the exact way we wanted, we would be in a whole lot of trouble. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Bruce Almighty, but this guy Bruce has this power to answer prayer and it does not go well. I mean, think of it on a human level. Think of it if a, if a young toddler says, hey, mom, dad, can I borrow the keys so I can drive to my friend's house because I don't want to endure the pain of walking there. Hopefully you will say no because you are wiser than them because you know things they don't know. In the same way, when we come to the Father, we pray, but we always say, thy will be done, as Jesus taught us. Thy will be done, knowing that if we knew what God knew, and if we had the wisdom that God had, we would answer our prayers in the exact way he does, even when the answer is no. James continues in verse 15. You can look there with me. It says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. That word, if there, is a very important word. Uh, James is saying, if your sickness is a result of sin, and you confess that sin, you will be forgiven. You see, sometimes, sometimes God will bring physical illness into our life as a gift of his disruptive grace, to interrupt our patterns of self-destructive sin. Sometimes, not all the time, but we see this in scripture. You th can think of, uh, uh, what's his name? Is it, um, oh man, slip in my mind, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar suffered greatly because of his arrogance until he repented and humbled himself before the Lord and then the Lord blessed him. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul warns those who take the Lord's Supper in an inappropriate way that, that some of them are getting sick and even dying. Uh, because they have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way because they are in sin. And so sometimes God's grace looks like sickness to us because he's doing something in our soul that is more important than physical health. And so when you get sick, you should ask this question. Lord, is, is there something in my life? Is there any sin that is unrepented of that you are seeking to purge out of me? It should be a question. Because sometimes, sometimes our sickness is because of our sin. Now, this isn't always the case, and so we have to be careful. You can look at the story of Job if you're familiar with that. Job's friend's mistake was that if you are sick, then that means that you were in sin, which wasn't the case for Job. But sometimes it is the case. And so we must come to the Lord with a heart that is open and tender and repentant of sin in our life. And so James exhorts us to private personal prayer, to elder prayer, and then to one another prayer. Look at verse 16 with me. Uh, again, it's assuming an intimate connection within the church. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this is not, uh, it, it, uh, it's not a suggestion, uh, it's a command. James is, is talking about what he said there in verse 15 about the connection between sin and suffering sometimes, and so I'm not going to repeat that. 
But what James is telling us here is that we need to be in relationships with others in the church where we can be honest and transparent and confess our sins to one another. Now, I don't think this means that you broadcast your sins on Facebook, nor do you broadcast other people's sins on Facebook, nor does this mean when anyone asks you, how are you doing, you have to tell them everything about your life. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that there should be someone or some people in the church that you are brutally honest with, that you confess your sins to, to get healing and freedom for your soul and sometimes also for your body. You know, when our kids were uh, young and in, in diapers, with our first one, we bought cloth diapers because we thought if the Lord blesses us with more children, this will be more economic. And so we got cloth diapers. And whenever there was a mess in the diaper, you know, we would clean it up, throw it in the washing machine. And when we would take it out of the washing machine, there would still be a stain on it. Uh, I say we like I did any of the work. Sorry, when Trish, when Trish did that, let's just be honest. Uh, and, and so Trish would take those diapers and she would hang them out in the sun. And in the sun, the, the stains would be bleached away because they were exposed to the light. Can I be honest with you? Satan wants you only to confess your sin to God. That's it. If he can do that, then your sin can remain hidden and it can grow and it can fester. Satan wants you to think uh, that you have a handle on your sin. He wants you to think that you can quit your sin whenever you want. He wants you to think that your sin doesn't affect your life and it doesn't affect the lives of the people around you. That's what Satan wants you to think. And oftentimes we do think that, but James is very clear right here. Do not just confess your sin to God, Confess it to a brother or sister in the Lord. Listen, I, I have this in my life uh, in lots of ways. Uh, I have a triad, a group of guys that I'm a part of that I'm very honest with. Uh, I'm honest with Pastor Chad and Pastor Dan Breed. Uh, I'm, also, uh, I'm also in community group and share with guys in that group. Uh, there's also elders that I share my sin struggles with. And I need that because I know if I keep it quiet, if I keep it in the darkness, if I only confess it to God, chances are I'm not going to get freedom from it. I, I can't tell you, I mean, there are probably hundreds of people in our church, literally, that could tell you about how much power sin had on their life and they, until they confessed it to another churchman or churchwoman had them pray over them for strength and for freedom and for healing and had them hold them accountable. And so the church is God's gift to you, but you to the church as well to help us gain freedom from the sin that is in our life. And so here are the types of prayer so far. There's private personal prayer. There's elder prayer when you're sick and one another prayer, confessing your sin and asking for healing. Finally, we have powerful prayer. Um, this is, this, this kind of covers the other three that we have talked about, but, but verse 16, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, it doesn't say if the person is theologically intelligent um, or if they are perfect, but if they are righteous. Uh, and, and righteous person is not one, again, who is a perfect person, but a person who is doing what we just read. They are confessing their sins to others. They are growing in, in holiness and in humanness. 
And, and, and here we see that it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its working. It has great power. And he goes on to prove it with this story they're familiar with. Verse 17, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now let's pause there. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet and he was a very big deal in the New Testament. Uh, he was mentioned 27 or he is mentioned 27 times in the gospels alone. So he's a very big deal. Uh, but here James emphasizes Elijah's normalness, that he was just like you or me. Uh, like you and me, he put his sandals on one foot at a time, right? And, and Elijah had highs and lows just like us. Sometimes he demonstrated extraordinary faith. Sometimes he was in despair and depression and doubt. Sometimes he was brave and resolute. Sometimes he ran away. Sometimes he was selfless and other times he was full of self-pity. Elijah was spiritually bipolar just like all of us. And yet God says he was a righteous man. And because of that, his prayers were powerful. Now, how were they powerful? Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I just have to laugh at this verse today. Uh, because all week I have been checking the forecast. All week I have seen that rain is coming. Last night there was a glimmer of hope and I looked at the radar this morning. It said rain is coming. And, but all week I've been praying, Lord, may you hold off the rain. And there's no rain. And so I don't know if that makes me a righteous person or not, but, but I'm kind of sitting here like looking out the window every once in a while. Am I righteous? Is it going to rain or not rain or what's going on? And, but but I, I know lots of people have been praying because we wanted to gather outdoors. We brought it inside. I don't know if it's because I don't have faith or what, or I want you to stick around and stay dry. But anyways, in this passage, what, what we are reminded of is that normal people like Elijah, like you, like me, our prayer has power. George Mueller lived in the 1800s in Bristol, England. And one day uh, he looked down the streets and saw hundreds of homeless children. And so with two cents in his pocket, he started an orphanage on prayer. And as the orphanage grew, of course, they had many challenges and prayer was so central to his ministry. There's a story of one day where the kids gathered together for breakfast before they went to school and they didn't have any food to feed the children. Yet he told them to gather together and he gathered them together and he prayed and he thanked the Lord for the food that he was about to provide, that the Lord was about to provide. And right after he prayed, there was a knock at the door. He said, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. That was the baker. But then right after that, the, the, the knock on the door again. And it was a milkman whose cart had broken down just outside the doors of the orphanage. And by the time the tire would be fixed, the milk would spoil. So he came and said, hey, can you use this free milk? And of course he could. Powerful prayer. Prayer is powerful. And our temptation when our prayers are answered, and I don't know if you can resonate with this, but my temptation when my prayers are answered is to simply say, oh, how lucky. Or just to move on with my day and not even identify it. One of my friends every New Year's goes back and looks at their prayer journal and looks and sees how the Lord has answered their prayers. I think it would do all of us good to do something like that. 
I love this quote from Oswald Chambers. Again, it's there in your bulletin, and I think, man, if there's one thing you could remember, this might be it. He says, prayer does not fit us for the great work. Prayer is the greater work. Prayer does not fit us for the great work. Prayer is the greater work. Why? Because prayer has power. And so Christians pray. Pray privately, pray with the elders, pray with one another, because prayer is the means which God has ordained to unleash his power of restoration and redemption in this world. And so uh, first, we are called to be a praying church. Okay, the second one, and this will go quicker, I promise, but I'm going on sabbatical, so I have to make up for like four Sundays here. The second is that we must be a pursuing church. Verse 19, he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, These verses may seem like a strange way to end a letter from uh, the half-brother of Jesus, James, an apostle. It may seem strange to end the letter in this way, but I would argue this is the very point of the letter of James. You see, one of the things that James is trying to do throughout the letter, if you remember this, is he's trying to help us distinguish between a profession of saving faith and an actual possession of saving faith. And right here, what he is reminding us of is that those who wander away from the truth, those who wander away from the fellowship of believers, it is most likely the reason that they do this is because they were never a believer in the first point. They had a a, a profession of faith, but not a possession of saving faith. He says here in verse 19 that they that they wander from the truth. If anyone among you, the, the among you is those who are among the assembly of believers, the church, and he says, if they wander away, wander away from the truth and wander into deception. He says that we should seek after them. You know, First John describes such people this way. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were all, that they all are not of us. And so this is not speaking about a Christian that that goes from one gospel preaching church to another gospel preaching church because it's a better fit for them. This is talking about someone who flees from gospel preaching churches. They have wandered into lies and deception and misery. And so in this passage, James is exhorting us to go after that wandering soul, to encourage them to come back to the truth and to the people of God. I see this, uh, honestly, most frequently within our own children. You probably know this. They they grow up in the church. uh, They make a profession of faith in Christ, but then they go to college and they wander away from the truth, or they get past college, and they wander away from the truth. And the question is, what should we do when people wander away from the truth, when they wander away from a gospel preaching church? Should we say, you know, I saw that coming? Should should we leave them for dead? Because that's what we often do. No, look in this passage. James is saying you must seek them out to bring them back into the fold of the church, because when you do, you will not only be winning them back from death itself, but covering over a multitude of sins, not by what you do, but because Christ's blood covers over not just a few sins, but a multitude of sins. And so if you are here today 
and you have wandered in here, but you have been wandering away from God, could it be that God is calling you back in today to hear this sermon, to startle you, to encourage you, to repent and to turn back to him and to surrender all of your life to Christ so that you no longer just have a profession of saving faith in Jesus Christ, but a possession of saving faith in Jesus Christ where he covers all of your sins with his blood, even the most heinous, even the most numerous. He covers all of your sins sins. This word for wandering is also used by Jesus in one of the most wonderful stories that he tells in Matthew 18. He says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one that has wandered away? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over 99 that never wandered away. And so if you are here today and you have wandered from the truth, if you have gone astray, could your coming here today be no accident, but rather the good shepherd leaving the 99 to come after you and call you to a possession of saving faith in Christ? Let me end with this. Um, in the mid-1700s, there was a young boy named Robert Robinson. And he lost his father and was forced to work from an early age. Uh, without the discernment of a father, Robert fell into a bad crowd and indulged in, in sin and self-destruction. In a drunken stupor at the age of 17, he heard a sermon by a pastor named George Whitfield. And the Spirit of God started working on his heart, calling him to himself. But for three years, he resisted until he finally surrendered his life to Christ. At the age of 23, he wrote a famous hymn, which we will sing here in a little bit, the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in it, he proclaimed the great truths of the gospel. He said, oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy court's above. Years later, Robert lapsed into his sinful and self-destructive lifestyle, running away from God, for he, like us, was indeed prone to wander. It was during this time that Robinson was completely miserable, chasing after deception in the world, where he entered into a stagecoach and a young woman was humming the tune, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And she turned to the man and she asked this man if he had heard this song which had ministered to her so deeply. And he replied to her, Madam, I am the poor, unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. <laughs> Listen to this. And I would give a thousand worlds, I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feeling I had then. Friends, there is no happiness wandering away from Christ. After that providential encounter with the lady in the stagecoat, the very words Robinson once wrote were used to graciously draw him back to the Lord and his church as he experienced the streams 
of mercy never ceasing. And so let me ask you, because it's not only non-Christians that are prone to wander, so are Christians. Where are you wandering from the Lord? Today, God is proclaiming to you his unrelenting love for you. And as Robert wrote in that song, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. You see, while I believe those last two verses in the book of James are targeted towards unbelievers, all of us are prone to wander. And that's why we need the church. We need the church. We need to be connected to the church so that the church is praying over us, praying for us, praying with us. Listen, even if we had 20 elders and 20 staff, we could not handle this workload. God is calling you, the church, to pray powerfully for one another, to pray for healing, to pray for, uh, to, to confess your sins and pray for the forgiveness of God to strengthen them and to give them freedom. And so he's calling us to pray, but he's also calling us to pursue one another with love and compassion and encouragement to come back to the great shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come today confessing that we like to go it alone because we are so often comfortable in our sin. And yet, as our Father, we know you grieve over that. It makes you very sad because you love us and care for us. You want us to find freedom and happiness and holiness and obedience to you, Lord. And so, God, I pray for those here today who maybe feel disconnected. God, pray that you would bless them with ways to connect, whether that be through a community group or through summer studies or a triad or whatever it might be. God, pray that they would find connection with others where they can be honest and open and be covered with prayer and minister to others, Lord. Thank you that though we are prone to wander, (laughs) you are prone to chase after your sheep and draw us back to yourself. We praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen.